0: Scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 13. It is known as the parable of the sower. Jesus says that life is like this. Let's share in God's good word together. And he told them many things in parables saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So the parable and the video remind us that life... Is hard. Life is hard. Sometimes it just doesn't work the way you want it to. Sometimes you throw seed on the ground and birds eat it. Other times you throw seed on the ground and it goes about that deep and it grows up and it's scorched. Other times it doesn't work at all. But sometimes. Sometimes the seed goes down and conditions are just perfect it grows and it grows and it grows well beyond your wildest imagination sometimes 30 fold or 60 fold or even a hundred fold and God is in all of it but make no mistake friends life is hard and that's what we're going to talk about today we are looking over the next five weeks about these transitions from the way people often want things to be or think that would be good and actually the opposite is true and so um, part of this work comes from the loss of what's known as initiation rites. How we've really lost as a society the way to build character and to develop people in ways that are good for society and for communities. And in biblical times, we would talk a bit about this as your tribe. We don't really have those sorts of, uh, that sort of language anymore. But God is with us through all of this. And so as a way of introduction, God liberates us from ourselves... And for something bigger. So God liberates us from ourselves and for something bigger. Will you say that with me? God liberates us from ourselves and for something bigger. That's what God is doing all along. And always has for his people. And this Father's Day, uh, I'm reminded that every man has to deal with the brokenness of his father. That's what we have to do. And every woman has to face her mother's unresolved issues in every relationship. And until you do those two things, your life will have lots of rocky pieces to it, and and a lot of it won't make sense. You won't know why you reacted this way or that way because you haven't yet resolved those issues in your life. You haven't let that come up and be transformed. And so as a community, not just as individuals, but as a community, our common pain of being human does not need hatred. No, the world has too much of that already. What it needs is what? Healing. We need to be people who help one another's heal so that our world can get better, so that heaven can come to earth where what God wants done is done. And that's what this sermon series is designed to do, It's to help us heal, to help us move forward, to help us bring that heaven to earth. So it's designed to help us heal collectively and to show us how to do it practically. We're gonna do this in five steps over the next five weeks. So, this first lesson is to teach our young people not to run from pain, not to run from pain, but to embrace it for the gifts that it has to offer. Not pain for pain's sake, but to remind us that we can do hard things. We are doing hard things, and people all around the world are doing hard things. This is important to learn, that particularly for our young people, don't run from the pain. That you're in. Can you imagine if you were uh, trying to train for track and you stopped every time you got a stitch in your side? Every time that your legs hurt after practice. Every time you got shin splints. Well, actually, you are supposed to stop after shin splints for a little bit, unless you're taped up. There are exceptions to these rules, of course. But here's the thing, friends. Our culture has largely lost the practice of initiating young people into these five lessons or hard truths of life. So we're going to take them one. At a time, and if you're going to be on vacation, as lots of us will be, uh, you can go online. Just go to acts2umc.org, hit the sermons, and they're all there over the last number of years. You can catch up or, or kind of revisit any of the pieces that you would like. And and here's the thing about this um, difficult piece that we're talking about today, and that is that if we always take the easier way, we miss the fullness of life that God intends for all of us. We, there's lots and lots of beautiful metaphors around this. Uh, Some of them are rather dramatic. You do know that if you uh, get impatient uh, with a little caterpillar and in their little cocoon, and if you cut that cocoon open, you'll kill the butterfly. It has to beat its wings to get stronger. It has to have that struggle to come forth and be all that God wants it to be. Many of you have had the incredible tragedy and trauma and pain of having a baby that wants to come too soon. And how dangerous that is, and how heartbreaking that is. Because there are certain things that are difficult and hard and take the time that they take. And so here's the thing, I want you to think about this in your own life. What are the things that you celebrate? What are the things that you celebrate? Well, I believe, at least in our family, we celebrate difficult accomplishments. Don't you? I mean, it's been graduation season, right? We we, we celebrate these things. High school, it can be hard, right? Middle school can be hard. College can be hard. Graduate school can be hard. But we celebrate those things because they are difficult, right? We, when we watch television shows or we think about people that we revere, we think of people like surgeons, right? This is hard. You don't just show up one day and think, like, yeah, I think I'm going to do surgery on somebody. No, like that would be terrible, Right, and and this last um, Winter Olympics in 2022, man, I I like to ski, but I cannot imagine doing it on one leg. Can you? I mean, we celebrate this, right? These Paralympians, they are amazing. They're just flying down the mountain at 60 miles an hour. Some men on Father's Day, you like to read really strong action novels, right? Tom Clancy kind of stuff. And, and we like to read about Navy SEALs, right? These guys are awesome. They're very strong. They're the elite of the elite, right? And so they, they write books about them. My story of surviving the toughest challenge and training the best. They're being shot out of a submarine. Now, that's cool, right? No one's writing a book about me floating in a floaty, Right? These, these guys are in action, putting their lives on the line that you and I can worship here freely today. We, we love to read about the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers, right? I mean, these, these guys were like, tell us how they do it. What's their training like? What is their life like? What do their families go through? And of course, this will not be news to you, but there is a new movie out called Maverick, Top Gun. He's back from his flight. He's done all this stuff. And so they make movies about these guys. You know what they don't make movies about? My last flight on American Eagle from Oklahoma City to Dallas. No movies about that, right? We don't celebrate the easy, the mundane, the regular. Father Richard Rohr puts it like this. He says, if you look deeply inside every success, though, there are also seeds and signs of failure. And if you look inside every failure, there are also seeds and signs of success. We learn from our failures. You might even say, so if you never fail, you never learn. Not really the important pieces that God has to teach us. So I would submit to you in these days, particularly of late, we have a problem. We have a comfort crisis. Will you say that with me? We have a comfort crisis. Any of you all like to be uncomfortable? No, of course not. Now, think about this. You and I, Americans, we now spend 93% of our time indoors in climate control. That is a lot of our time. 93%. It's nice and cool in here, isn't it? I like that. 68 degrees every time. You may come in here and you say, it's too cold. I say, no, it's 68 degrees. You say, it's too hot. I say, no, it's 68 degrees. Dress appropriately. Right? Because otherwise you're just fighting about it all the time. We love this. We love to be in control of the temperature. But as our folks in Guatemala could tell you, or the folks in Memphis could tell you, there's a lot of worship that goes on. They don't have any air conditioning at all. All around the world, people are worshiping God. And they do it beautifully, with or without air conditioning, under a brush arbor. Michael Easter, in his book uh, called The Comfort Crisis, He says that we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature-controlled, overfed, under-challenged, safety-netted lives. And he has, you know, metaphor after metaphor, example after example of how this is true. And then he comes to this. He says, finally, on June 29, 2007, boredom was pronounced dead thanks to the iPhone. And so our imaginations and deep social connections went with it. Now, we don't, we don't think about this too often, but I have a, a friend of mine that I met in graduate school named John Paul, and he is the Anglican priest uh, at one time at the furthest northeastern point in North America, Newfoundland. It takes him between six or eight hours by ferry to get to his island where he lives. Six hours is the fast ferry, he tells me. And I remember one day we were studying in Pasadena, California in February, which is not a bad time to be there. And uh, particularly if you're from Newfoundland. It's not bad if you're from here either. And John Paul took a phone call. And he said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they hung up. And he looked at us, a group of us, we were at lunch together. He said, pray for me. He said, why is that? He said, that was my wife. We've had 15 feet of snow, and she has to dig out of the driveway. I will pay for this the rest of my life. <laughs> Just how it is. I do hard things. So here's the solution to this comfort crisis. Say it with me. Do hard things. You can do it. Do hard things. And people are starting to catch on to this. A matter of fact, our executive pastor here, uh, Pastor Brandon, he wears it on his wrist. Every day, do hard things. Do hard things. I tried to take a photo of it, and I can't even get the S. I'm I'm not good at doing hard things, apparently. Right? So how do you do this? How do you learn to do hard things? How do you learn and know that you have the character that you can do hard things? Well, for most people, up until recently, you know what they did? Spent time in nature, preferably alone. That's what you do. You go out and you see the goodness of God, the grandeur of God. And if you have the resources, the ability, I would encourage you to travel and to see things that you don't see here, like the Grand Canyon. I've never been, but that looks good to me. Sharon McLean's a a member of our church. She took this photograph. I have it in my office. I love this. It's just a reminder to me of how vast and good God is and the power of water, right? Just, Just a little bit at a time. You have enough time. You could do a lot. Or the Grand Tetons, for example. Incredible. How do you not know that God exists when you see these sorts of things in the world? One of the most holy moments I've ever had in my life was after a snowfall in a forest that was much like this. The only thing you could hear was your footsteps or the trees dancing in the wind. Nothing else for miles. Miles. There's a holiness to that. And there's no mistake that we cannot be larger than. We cannot be above and we cannot control nature. Can we? Except in here at 68 degrees. But out there? No. Now, I want to uh, show off just a little bit because that's who I am. I like to show off. Do these things. This, I just want to tell you how awesome I am. So, I'm an Eagle Scout. Many of you all know that about me. You know, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. I, I was reminded about this this week, actually, because we have a number of young men in our, in our church that are Eagle Scouts. They do hard things. They know how to do that. And one of them, Wes, actually got his Eagle Scout this week. Uh, I found that on Facebook. I was like, I want to celebrate Wes. Then I started thinking about that. What does it take to be an Eagle Scout? Well, they have these sorts of badges, right? The green ones are the ones that you, you can get. You know, there's public speaking, gardening, law, canoeing, row boating, reptile study, water skiing, all these sorts of pets, you know, you have to have a pet for that one apparently, um, broadcast journalism, I, I did something with that, snow skiing, and, and the thing is you have to have X like 30 some odd badges, but then there's these white ones that are required, you have to have them, swimming, life-saving, you know, citizenship in America, Red. you know, um, all kinds of... Good stuff. Physical fitness, and, and, and. Um, Citizenship in the camping, and and all these sorts of things, right? Stewardship of the earth. But, you know, here's the thing. Of all these, you know what Eagle Scouts talk about? They don't talk about any of the white badges that are required. They don't talk about, um, you know, safety, which is important. They talk about this one. Notice it's not on the required list. It's green. It's not white. Anybody know what this one is? Wilderness survival. That's what scouts talk about. Because that's the badge where you go to camp at 12, 13, 14 years of age and they put you out. And they say, good luck. As I remember it, no mosquito repellent. You have to build three fires Without matches, without accelerant, you have to feed yourself. You have to get food, cook the food. You have to make your own little lean-to. And they come back and check on you the next day to see if you're still there. Now, fortunately, there are adult leaders, and they're not far away, and so they kind of know where you are, and they know where the other boys are. And you keep your fire smoking as low as you can to kind of get the smoke to try to get the mosquitoes away. You cannot because you're down by a river because you got to have water and, and, and. But this is what we talk about. We'll say, well, tell me about your wilderness survival night. What was that like? How was it? And you know, to this day, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, I'm pretty sure that was the only night in my life that I was out in wilderness by myself. I never chose to do it again. It took a stinking little merit badge to get me out there. But I never forgot it. See, there's, just, there's something about doing hard things, isn't there? Things that you can do that you didn't know that you can do. And again, Father War would say it like this. He says, if a young man does not learn this respect early to nature and and our place in it, he will spend his life demanding that everyone and everything listen to him, which creates a tragic deafness and narcissism. Friends, we, we cannot let our young people or ourselves believe that we are the center of the universe. It has all kinds of tragic consequences. We have to know that we are dust, and to dust we shall return every Ash Wednesday. Right? We have to recognize and embrace that life is hard for you and for everyone. Every person you see is going through something or has gone through something or will go through something very, very difficult. Andy Stanley's one of my favorite preachers, and he just has a way with words. He says it like this, getting something out of our struggles is more important than getting out of our struggles. And that's really what this message is about. Will you say this with me? Getting something out of our struggles is more important than getting out of our struggles. And man, do we spend a lot of time trying to get out of our struggles. Trying to have a life of ease. We are in a comfort crisis. So friends, pain is a part of life, isn't it? And no one lives on this earth without it. And this is why this is so important. Because... If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it over and over and over again. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it in some form. Say this with me. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it in some form. And this is where our faith comes in. We, we ask God, we're like, this is hard. Help me transform this pain. Redeem it as you did for your son on the cross. Redeem it as you have always for your children and your people. If we don't transform our pain, friends, we will transmit it to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our coworkers. There's actually a, a, a name for this in the Harvard Business Review. They call them vampires in your workplace. You know who they are. You try to avoid them because when you go, they will suck the life right out of you. Because they haven't dealt with their stuff. So they're more than happy to have you deal with it. Because they won't deal with it. This is the way this works. So if you're wondering like, hmm, I wonder if I have any of that in me. The answer is yes. We all do. But at what level? Here's, here's some symptoms. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not the end of the world, but they might help you see some things. So here are three symptoms of unresolved pain. Number one, we become inflexible blaming and petty as we age right as we say getting older is inevitable maturity is optional right so how you doing on this one do you take responsibility for your stuff number two we need other people to hate in order to expel our inner negativity it's called scapegoating it's been around since biblical times you see if you don't transform your pain you'll put it on somebody else it's, it's, I had a good friend, he'd say like this, it's prestidigitation, right? Oh, don't look over here, look over here, poof, voila, right? Don't look at me, I want you to look at them, look at them, always look at them, because if you look at me, you're not going to like what you see, so you have to look at them. That's what that's about. Every ism we have, that's what that's about. Don't look at me, racism, look at them. Don't look at me, sexism, look at them. Don't look at me, come on, friends, own your stuff, Right? You have to own your stuff or you're going to transmit it to somebody else. And if you're really not paying attention, you're going to transmit it to somebody who has less power than you do in our society. That's called evil, by the way. The opposite of live, right? There's live or there's evil. And so when you don't own your stuff, you put it on somebody else. That's what that is. It's simply unhealed pain. And we're transmitting it. We're not careful. The third is that we play the victim in some form as a means of false power. How you doing? I'm fine. Really? Oh, yes, I'm fine. Yeah. Come on. These are, all, these are all ways to know. Oh, okay. Okay, God. What, what is it in me that's still hurting? Because I'm hurting. Because I'm, I'm not a God. I'm a child of God. I'm human, I need help. So, this is, this is where it's important that you hear me. And that is because there's always pain, and because the temptation is always to run from pain, we have to understand this, that the pain we bring ourselves by living outside of reality is greater than the brief pain of facing it. Now, I don't know if some are more hardwired or less hardwired, but one of my, the favorite... Um, stories that my parents will tell on me uh, which I love because it makes me seem a lot braver than I am is that when I was a little boy and I would get sick I would be four, five, six, seven years of age and I would go to the doctor and they would say okay, you've got an infection you've got this, you've got that here's your cough syrup which I hated they say that as a little boy I would simply look at the doctor and say give me a shot like I want it now so I can get over this so I can get back to doing the stuff I want to do I wish that that were still true for me today, right? But, but, but somehow we learn to, to become pain avoidant. But even as a little one, I knew, like, look, you can either, you know, put this out a long time. You can be on an antibiotic for all this time or you can get a shot. It's going to hurt, but it might get you better faster, and say, well, okay, hold on. This is all real nice, but what about the Bible? What about Jesus? What, how, does this, how is this our faith? How does this go with our faith? Well, the example, of course, is our Master Jesus. The one we say is our Lord, the one we follow, right? You never forget, friends, life was hard and dangerous for Jesus. Absolutely dangerous for Jesus. You know, over and over again in the New Testament, they'll say things like, oh, well, he's a glutton and he's a drunkard. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. And we just read over that like, oh, well, poor Jesus, they're talking bad about him. No, 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 no. No, that, that's to miss the whole deal. When they use that language, what they're saying is that Jesus has a death warrant on his head. How do we know this? Well, you've got to go back into, into the Old Testament into the law. In Deuteronomy, it says this. They shall say, the book of the law is Deuteronomy, by the way. They sh- shall say to the elders of his town, this son of yours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. The exact language they use. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. That's what's supposed to happen to people who are gluttons and drunkards. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. So when they said that about Jesus, he had to get out of there. They would kill him. Yet Jesus failed to conform to the popular messianic expectations. You say, well, Jesus never failed. Well, sure he did in in their eyes. They expected the Messiah to do this, 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 and this, and Jesus did none of it. He was bringing a different kind of kingdom where God was in charge. Man, no longer. Eugene Boring, a New Testament professor down at Texas Christian University, says this When Jesus came in meekness, announcing the peaceable kingdom of unconditional love and forgiveness and celebrating the goodness of life with all, he was rejected as not spiritual enough. Isn't that interesting? See, there's always this trap in religion that it has to be just like this. You have to have people that are in and people who are out, and you got to do it. And when Jesus came in love for everyone, they're like, you know, that just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem like you could possibly. That's just not spiritual enough. You know, you need to get on your knees five times a day, and you need to read these texts, and you need to take these studies, and you need to do these works. That's not what Jesus was about. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things if they actually help you follow Jesus. That's what they're there for. But Jesus said that following him would be more demanding, not less, and more rewarding. To follow Jesus is the best thing you can possibly do with your life. And yes, it will cost you everything. It's more demanding than anything else you'll do and more rewarding. Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his what? His cross. cross. Friends, that's not a beautiful piece of jewelry in Jesus' day. That's the worst thing that could happen to you in Jesus' day. So you deny yourself, which we're not big fans of. You take up your cross, how often? Every day. Not sometimes. You know, not once. Daily. And follow me. That's what it is to follow Jesus. And Jesus asks his followers to do hard things. Hard things, but with him. For their good and for the good of others. So we, don't, we never do it alone. So... In the Gospel of Mark, it says this. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, and he loved him. He wasn't mad at him. He loved him, and he said, you know what? You're so close. You're so close. You just lack one thing. Go and sell what you own, all of it. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He trusted in his stuff more than he trusted in Jesus. And Jesus says, it won't work like that. My way is the hardest way and the most rewarding in this life and the next. And what does Jesus say about his yoke, about his way of life? He says, it will bring you rest. Isn't that interesting? That the very hardest, most demanding yoke is the one that brings us rest ultimately. Jesus promised us rest for our souls. If we follow, if, it's an if-then deal. If we follow him in doing God's will, that's where the rest comes from. The safest place in all the world is to be in the palm of God's hand in the middle of his will. So Jesus says it like this. Come to me, all you who are weary. I mean, don't you get worn out trying to stay comfortable? Don't you just get so tired trying to have ease of life? Isn't that ironic? Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke, my way of life. God's will upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, the will of God, is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus says. And so Jesus models for us the most difficult thing of all and that is surrender. Do y'all like surrender? Any of y'all bought a ticket to a movie where the hero goes and surrenders. No, we are absolutely against surrender. We hate it. Culturally, we are 100% against the very thing that Jesus teaches is the way to life. I mean, we, we teach our children from, from way little. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't ever surrender. And, and so we have this, this real battle in our thought life, in our, in our minds, and in our lives. The last thing we want to do is surrender. And if we're not careful we will forget that that's exactly what we need to do with God. We need to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done, God. Whatever that is, because you know best, because you're all love, all excelling. And and we find this in in the last night of Jesus' life. It says, and going a little farther, Jesus threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. That's what surrender looks like. Then he came to the disciples. It's not hopelessness. It's obedience. Not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples, found them asleep, and he said to Peter, so you cannot stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake, pray that you might not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is what Jesus did. And a life of obedience is not a one-time test. It's, it's not like my wilderness survival badge where I do it one night and I get to brag about it the rest of my life till I'm 54. <laughs> That's just gross. So... Look what happens. Jesus goes back. Again, Jesus goes back for a second time and he prays, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's still struggling with this. It's not like, oh, we prayed about it once and all of a sudden, voila, it's over. No. He did not want to go to the cross, but he was obedient even unto death. And yet again, his friends, they were asleep. Their eyes were heavy. So he left them again He went away and prayed for a third time. Saying the same words. And of course, that's when Judas shows up. And Jesus begins his journey to death Father Richard War says it like this he says in the spiritual life there is no elsewhere first and last you are your major problem if you're going to read business books they're going to say you know the most person that's most important and most difficult to manage is yourself of course that's true if you're a leader of any organization the organization never outgrows the leader speed of leader, speed of the team Health of the leader, health of the team. This is the way this works. Health of the family system. So, in your spiritual life, we just have to understand there's no one to blame. There's no elsewhere. You are your problem. And if you don't address that, you will be somebody else's problem as well. So, again, Father Rohr, he says this. Human beings will do everything under the sun to avoid the problems of me now and here. Because that's the only place this stuff gets fixed. Me, now, and here. We run from it. We run from pain. We don't want to address the things we need to address. And so we'll do all kinds of things to procrastinate or push back or go around or blame someone else. But it only gets fixed at me, now, and here. That's where the good stuff happens. So Jesus tells us plainly the only way to a full and fulfilling life is to get out of the way and to follow him. He says it really close, really plainly. He says, those who try to make their life secure will lose it. But those who lose their life, for my sake, Jesus says, will keep it. Live for something bigger than yourself. And because of Jesus, the very worst things have the power to become the very best thing. That's what the cross teaches us. And you may be wondering, Pastor Mark, I'm not sleeping outside tonight. You can't make me do that. I'm not asking you to. I would ask you to try an experiment that you might hate. But it would be good for you. I, d- I don't like doing this myself, but it's important and it's good. So here's your action step. Intentionally practice doing something that you're bad at. Have fun at it and reflect on it. What if you were to go home this afternoon and do something you knew that you were just terrible at? And if you're super brave, let your kids watch. You know, ride with your left hand. Play the piano that you haven't played since fifth grade. You know, try to cook something. Have a fire extinguisher close at hand. But go do something that you know you're not any good at. You have no training. You've avoided it for years because you had a bad experience in third grade. They said your finger painting was bad. Whatever it is, do that intentionally. Because you know what? God's not grading you. He loves you. This Father's Day, he loves you because you're his kids. Not because you have some badge, or you can make some piece of art, or you can make some music. And here's the important part. When you're finished with your practice, this thing that you're terrible at, say out loud, and God loves me anyway. And God loves me anyway. I can do hard things, and I'm not going to do it perfectly the first time, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn how to do stuff that I'm bad at. And I might get better at it. I might not. It doesn't matter. I'm just living in to the reality of who I am. I'm going to do something on purpose that I'm bad at. How many of you all will do that with me today? Anybody? All the women are like, yes, I'll do this. Now, yes, no, I hope you will. And just remember that God loves you right where you are. When you do things perfectly and when you don't. It's okay. Do things that are hard. Amen.